Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Friday, November 4th. No Jack McMullen. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. I'm Peter Appledout. That is Ryan Finkelstein. That is Arm Layton. Ryan, you sometimes like to refer to yourself as a Phillies hater with the Mets flag behind you. And a lot of people on TikTok like to refer to me as an Astros hater. But I feel like Arm is kind of the medium, right? Arm, you might just hate both teams. Is that true? No, I I just only hate the Marlins. (laughs) His own favorite team. So in this episode, we're going to be doing a recap of Game 5, as well as a little bit of preview of Game 6 and Game 7. Phillies' backs are against the wall at this point. Astros took a 3-2 series lead after winning the game yesterday 3-2 behind some really good pitching once again. But this time, Arm, we talked about it yesterday with Justin Verlander. It's funny, he's got like a new career arc now. He had a 6-0-7 ERA in the World Series moving into this game, and then he gave them five innings, one run. It was a little bit bumpy here and there, Mm -hmm. but the slider was working much better. The overall command was working much better. And I know you were probably really happy to see Justin Verlander kind of move past that a little bit. Uh, absolutely, dude. I mean, it, it was we talked about how much we wanted to just see him put together a good outing. And look, was it perfect? No. Uh, but he gave them five innings of one run ball, which it was just one mistake that was hammered by Kyle Schwarber, who, you know, he's, he's going to catch some. That's just the way it is. But it was the World Series. You're going to have to battle. They're never going to come that easy unless you're Christian Javier with a you know magic fastball. But I think what Verlander did here is is just a testament to, to how much he he really is trying to find a way. And, and you said it, right? I, it was the quote I literally picked for our Instagram account. But by the way, go follow us on Instagram at just baseball fan or just baseball show. Just there baseball show. Company but, guy. Uh, yeah, just a little <laughs> plug right there. But you said, I, I feel like I can't imagine just Justin Verlander not making the adjustment, right? And you kind of heard the post-game interviews where he's like, yeah, you know, I, I saw them, you know, hunting the fastball early, but then they changed and just kind of feeling out his opponent here and, and feeling out how they're going to approach him. He's got to just kind of work around that. And he's just so smart that he, he found a way to be able to get these guys out. But there was a little bit of nibbling. There was a little bit of uh, everything in between there. Four walks isn't characteristic, but hell, you'll take this if you're the Astros. Ryan. Obviously, you've been on the show a bunch of times. Managing editor over here at JustBaseball.com. You get to watch your rival Phillies take on Justin Verlander. How 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 have you been feeling this series? Like you, we haven't been able to talk to you in the World Series so far. Like how is this how has this gone over for you as a Mets fan? 
as a Mets fan, it's just a weird series to watch. The whole playoff run, I was I was rooting for the Phillies over the Braves, but since then, you're just kind of waiting for that that magic run to end. You don't want to see a team of your division win the World Series. Uh, but then there's also all these former Mets on the team. So when Noah Syndergaard's pitching, I don't want to see him get lit up because uh, I still like Noah. So uh, it, it's definitely a weird watch. Uh, I'll say with Verlander in this game, you kind of feel like he's pushing up against a narrative. It's it's almost how we feel whenever Kershaw starts in the postseason, where you're like, okay, there's no like way he's actually this bad in the World Series, or that this is something that should continue to happen. Yet there was what the second inning when the bases were loaded, where you're thinking like, here we go again. Is is this another Verlander start? And uh, it was good to see him get through. And that that was just one of those classic playoff games where you know one run wins it here or there. And I mean the Astros, I feel like just kind of had a stranglehold on it as far as just it just never felt like they were quite going to give it up. And obviously great defense and bullpen and, you know, they, they pulled it out. And I kind of feel like now they are absolutely in the driver's seat here. They are in the driver's seat up three, two backs against the wall for the Phillies. We move into game six and game seven, which we will speak about in a little bit, but I want to talk about Noah Syndergaard for a second. <laughs> yeah. about Noah Syndergaard three, the box score doesn't really reflect. I thought he pitched pretty well, guys. He, he did three, innings, three hits. Toured runs, he struck out four guys, and it was funny. Um, what was taken over social media? I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, DraftKings they put out a graphic because Noah Syndergaard's strikeouts was at two and a half, and DraftKings put out a graphic says Noah Syndergaard has struck out five point one guys per nine innings. Are you going to be betting on Noah Syndergaard's over two and a half strikeouts? And our guy Krabs, who writes KBO over here at JustBaseball.com, he said, this is malpractice. I am going to be all over the under. Like, you know that he's only going to be going <laughs> 35 to 40 pitches. He's not going to go beyond the third inning. And Krabs was right. He ended up only throwing 44 pitches, but we had a strikeout machine in Noah Syndergaard, and he only allowed two balls to be hit over 95 miles an hour. So, yes, he did give up the long ball to Jeremy Pena, who became the first rookie ever to hit a home run in the world series but overall Syndergaard kept them in the game through his limited time he was throwing 95 miles an hour I was pretty impressed with Noah Syndergaard I didn't think that this was Philly just handing it handing it in and being like well you know it's Noah Syndergaard it's all we got because Zach Wheeler is still dealing with a little bit of form tightness or at least that's what he went on the aisle currently for I want to just ask you guys both about Noah Syndergaard Arm, we'll start with you yeah, dude, I, I was really impressed. I saw that DraftKings prop and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, he he's actually gonna get hammered tonight. Like that was like the the, the last straw, right? I was like, okay, this is not gonna look good here. And here's the amazing thing about and this is for for betters out there too, uh, that feel like, oh, this is a can't miss prop. I'm going all in on on one here. Of course, DraftKings knew that there was a good chance Syndergaard gets bounced early. That's why they gave that promotion. Here's the thing. All it takes is a guy having his slider working for him one day, and you can throw all of the bullshit stats out the window. Like today or yesterday, his slider was working, and he got strikeouts. Like his velo was up a little bit, and he was feeling himself. Sometimes it just happens that way. And I will say, you could tell that Syndergaard was just really excited for the opportunity. This is a guy that's had – you talk about career arcs, Peter. He was you know, looking like maybe the next big arm in the game You know, that ends up dealing with injuries – now works his way back a little bit, but just hasn't been quite nearly close to to what he once was or once was on the trajectory to be. So to get the opportunity to get the ball in the World Series, I could imagine that he was relishing that and and amped up. But he controlled that 
you know, and was able to use that adrenaline into a snapping a sharper slider that was up a couple miles per hour and, you know, spinning way more than it normally does. The fastball was up a little bit, like overall just looked better. You got beat by Jeremy Pena, who's beating everybody right now. But other than that, I mean, four strikeouts, no walks, gave them three strong innings. He gave them a shot. He gave them a shot. And at the end of the day, that's all you can really ask for in a game where you're just trying to get to Wheeler. And if we're talking about odds currently, Jeremy Pena is plus 150 to win World Series MVP. Next best odds, Alex Bregman at plus 600. So right now, Jeremy Pena is the clear front runner. Ryan, you've been watching Noah Syndergaard for most of his career. Now you see him on the Phillies, the rival. How did you think he pitched? Pretty well. I mean, there was basically the one pitch he hung to Pena. Other than that, I think every other pitch was pretty competitive. And I think, you know, as we maybe get into to the Wheeler conversation with game six, like the one thing you have to know about Noah at this point is he probably has one of the freshest arms like on that entire staff right now. Yeah. And so to have that fresh arm going into this start, you know, I think he's able to kind of go on adrenaline. And he at least at this point, even though he doesn't have the stuff he had when he was throwing you know, that pitch at Alcides Escobar's head as a Met seven years ago, he still has now the veteran experience to know how to pitch and to get outs. And, you know, he was able to to get, what was it, four strikeouts in the first couple of innings. He looked yeah. really strong. And uh, ultimately, you know, he was going to have a short leash. So as soon as he gave out that homer, like he was pulled. But I wouldn't have been surprised if they let him hang in there if he could have given them another inning or two, uh, just based on how he was throwing the ball. But I also don't at all, uh, begrudge Thompson for pulling him as soon as he gives up the homer too. Yeah, and but I thought the best performance from the Phillies in Game Five was Connor Brogdon. <laughs> but two innings, five strikeouts, that changeup. I feel like if you squint your eyes on him, it kind of looked like Devin Williams. Like that's how nasty this guy <laughs> was, was. and he's been nasty the entire the entire World Series so far. Like this is why when I was, you know, we were talking about the Phillies bullpen and Arum, we were on the under. You, you guessed the game would end three one. I was like, I kind of think also three one, but I'm gonna go with three two. And the game ended three to two because we have a lot of faith in the Phillies bullpen. And there, but there was one decision, and sometimes we play Monday morning quarterback. After something goes wrong, well, that's our job. That's our job, <laughs> literally, to make fun of decisions after the fact. Look how great we are. But I want to play Monday morning quarterback on a decision that ended up being okay. And that was Jose Alvarado pitching in the sixth inning against the top of the lineup when in the game prior, he was the one to kind of blow it against that part of the lineup. And it was also, it wasn't just that part of the lineup, it was righty, righty, lefty, righty lefty and you have two lefties in Jordan Alvarez and and Kyle Tucker and while Jose Alvarado was able to get out Jordan Jordan has zero issues against lefties I was surprised they went to him instead of a guy like David Robertson who then ended up pitching later in the game but I would have expected Alvarado to go against a different part of the lineup that he hadn't faced but it ended up working so I wanted to play Monday morning quarterback on something that happened correctly. Arm, what did you think of that decision? Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting like conversation and an interesting decision there. I, and I think it really shows Rob Thompson's confidence in Jose Alvarado because we look at that spot of the game and you know that's arguably besides the the ninth inning or you know maybe if they come back up around the eighth, that's probably one of the biggest sets of outs that you're going to have to get the rest of the way. And, uh, you know, he knows he still has Sir Anthony Dominguez. He knows he still has David Robertson and they got to get there. 
I, I definitely was like, oh, here we go again. Jose Alvarado's coming in. But if you have your guy and you trust him, uh, that that's the spot to put him in. And and I love that Rob Thompson sticks with his guys. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna win the World Series, it's because Jose Alvarado's pitching well out of the pen. I don't really see how they win the World Series without Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez pitching well. Of course, when you get Connor Brogdon doing what he did, that helps a lot. But you need Alvarado to be that bullpen ace, and and I think you got to give him that chance to bounce back, especially with the off day, and then you're going to go back to to Houston. I like giving him the opportunity there, but absolutely, Peter, it was living on the edge. And again, I think you got to you got to die on that on that hill with Jose Alvarado. So I like I like the boldness from Thompson. Yeah, I like the boldness. I just thought to myself when he came in, I feel like I'm going to be talking about this decision tomorrow. And he allowed two runners on base, but it ended up working out. But Ryan, there was. There's been two guys in the, um, in the Phillies lineup that have kind of been disappointing, in my opinion. <laughs> like, Kyle Schrober's still doing his thing. He's hitting home runs, it feels like, every single game. Bryce Harper is still him. Like, the definition of him. Yeah. Ichiro Muto is, is, is playing pretty well, and he's just so good behind the plate. That runner that he nabbed out at second on the throwdown. Um, like, he, he, he gives you so much value behind the plate. But two guys who don't give you any value in the field and then also have not been hitting is Reese Hoskins, who in the World Series so far is hitting 169, and Nick Castellanos, who's hitting 197. While Castellanos is actually playing really well in right field, Hoskins had kind of a timely error, which allowed a run to score. Now, if he catches that ball cleanly, are they able to get him? I don't know, but what I did see is that he dropped the ball, and then at the plate, he's been kind of dropping the ball. Like, what have you seen from those two guys especially? Well, first off, as someone who watched Lucas do the airmail throw to home, they might have been uh, better off that Hoskins didn't field that ball cleanly, and at least they got an out in the play. But, uh, you know, honestly, I think if I look at these two teams, the the big difference to me is the Astros, especially. uh, We'll see if Gurriel comes back next game, but their one through six is tough at bats, whereas the Phillies right now, Hoskins isn't hitting. But even when he was, it was that, that first four. And then that drop-off, to have Castellanos protecting Harper, why are you pitching to Harper? That's why he gets hit in the foot in the ninth inning. There's no reason, especially when the bases are empty, to attack Bryce Harper. If Nick Castellanos was the Reds' Castellanos a year prior, you know maybe Harper sees a pitch to hit in that ninth inning. But because yeah. you know Castellanos is just a shell of himself at this point, I'm going to attack him every single time. And ultimately, that could be the difference here because, you know, it, it certainly could happen again in game six where they pitch around Harper to get to Castellanos. And I don't know if you change up the lineup at this point to, you know, give him better protection, but I think it kind of is what it is. And they're going to try to ride him in, until the wheels fall off, I guess. It's funny, dude, because I was thinking the same thing. When Bryce Harper was up, I'm like, man, I, I would like to see him get some pitches to hit here. And he actually did get some pitches to hit, yeah. which was the craziest part. Uh, but it just had me thinking, too, like if you if the count goes deep, you're in a three, two spot, you're going to make a pitcher's pitch and just go to Cassianos, right? You're, you're not afraid to put Harper on. And that's the frustrating part about, you know, what what happens with this lineup after it tapers off. And I mean, Cassianos, man, I, look, I know he's made some decent plays in right field. And I will say, though, like I, I think they're deceptively like average plays, but he is gets just such a mediocre jump and is slow and makes a sliding catch on a ball that most guys catch in stride. Um, And and that's the other thing about him. I always say he runs like his shoes are eight sizes too big, Mm -hmm. like the way that his feet just slap on the ground. 
I can't I can't watch this guy hit anymore, man. Like first pitch, breaking ball. That's literally it's it's a he's swinging swing. no matter what he's swinging no matter, no matter what, what no approach so easy to pick him apart his swing is long he's cheating he doesn't give you much value anywhere else and look I don't, I don't want to pile on it sucks like I know Cassianos wants to succeed but it's just really frustrating to watch and uh, when you talk about Hoskins like he, he's come up big in the postseason but this is where you see the defense making the small difference right. You have Chaz McCormick making a potentially game-saving catch in center field while, you know, Reese Hoskins is booting a ball that would have been a tough play, but is booting a ball. Chaz McCormick's play was tough. Hoskins booting a ball that that could have ended up being the difference there with that one run. So it it shows you the little things defensively that can end up being the difference. Look, going offense over defense in a lot of ways is why the Phillies are here, but, you know, it, it can work against you in certain spots too. My fascination now, and I, and I tweeted this last night, is who's DH next year? And I don't, I don't know. We don't need to talk about this too much, but I just wanted to bring this point up because I think it's hilarious. Reese Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, and Nick Cassianos are in just a vicious battle to earn the 2023 DH job so they don't have to play in the field. Like, who is going to win it? Hoskins, no one probably considered it. He's horrible at first. Like at some point, you got to consider him at the DH role. I think none of these guys want to play defense next year, and they're all trying their best to to earn that DH spot for 2023. And we so we're currently live on TikTok, and I kind of want to bring in some of these questions because a lot of them are good. This is one from Dylan Bates three three eight three. He says the big difference to me is consistency from the Astros in contrast to streaky bats of the Phillies, and I mm-hmm. think that's best symbolized by the bottom of the lineup, right? Bryson Stott really has not showed up at the plate. Gene Segura had a two for four day yesterday, but besides that, hasn't really done much. And then Brandon Marsh, his OPS is great. Or great. I mean, it's at 700, but the batting average is at 184. Then you look at the bottom of the lineup for the Astros. Yuli Gurriel might be the best overall hitter in this series. Like he has a 347 batting average with an 850 OPS. Like outside of Bryce Harper, it's probably Yuli Gurriel or Jeremy Pena. Then you have David Hensley, like at the bottom, who just continues to put bat on ball. You have Chas McCormick, who's not only making web gem plays in the outfield, but he's also hitting 250. And even a guy like Martin Maldonado, who they only need to catch because of how good the Astros lineup is, but he's also hitting 250. So there's contributions from every single area of the Astros, whether that be the bullpen, whether that be the bottom of the lineup, whether that be the top of the lineup. Like Jordan Alvarez, this series is hitting 188, and the Astros are up 3-2 in the series. Like, Aram, when when we were talking about predictions at the beginning of the series, you and Jack harped on outlasting. And that was something on TikTok where they they didn't like for some reason. That's TikTok comments for some. They're like, how are they going to outlast? the? But that's literally what they're doing at this point is just – from top to bottom, whether bullpen, starting rotation, lineup, everything, they are just outlasting. They're not crushing the Phillies in any way, but they are just simply outlasting. Ryan, when you were looking at this series from the beginning, because you wrote a World Series preview over there, at over there, over on our website at JustBaseball.com, <laughs> did you kind of see the same thing? Did you see the Astros just outlasting the Phillies kind of in every facet of the game? Yeah, I actually had Astros in six as my prediction at the bottom there, so I feel pretty good about that right now. Uh, I think the exact wording I said was something along the lines of, I think the Phillies grab a couple, but ultimately run out of gas, and the Astros kind of like you're saying, outlast them. And I think that's where we're at. I mean, that Astros bullpen is so good. 
all they have to do now, one of these next two games is get a lead in the first five innings and hand it off to that pen. And we feel pretty confident that the Astros between their defense with Jeremy Pena and McCormick making plays. And I mean, they're so good up the middle so too. Good. It's it's look, I think we're heading towards what we all should expect. The best team is going to win the world series and it's the Astros. Uh, you might just be right. And one more question that I want to come in. This is um, from pop up the jams on um on on tiktok um he really wants to know if we would change the lineup for the phillies like how you know do you put alec bohm maybe he he mentioned that do you put alec bohm um behind bryce harper instead um i mean that's alec you, bohm, maybe yeah alec, I, I would just uh, saying like alec bohm so that's maybe the only team. tweak i'd make yeah what that's would maybe you do? one of the only tweak that's one harper of the only third? tweaks i'd probably make what if you harper just third hoskins, to fourth? hoskins and and harper Bat Harper second with Real Muto behind him. At least you just get him more at bats and put Hoskins clean up. I wouldn't mind that. I don't, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. I at the very least I would flip flop Bohm and Castellanos. I mean, yeah. you know, Bohm is giving you better ABs. Throw the numbers out. Just look at the ABs. It, it's not even close in terms of what they're giving you. But at the same time, I watched Alec Bohm get blown up by three consecutive fastballs and walk back to the dugout, which is is one of the most demoralizing kind of ways to strike out. But it, it's the Astros bullpen. I I would I feel much more confident when Alec Bohm is at the plate than when Nick Castellanos is at the plate. That's there's no doubt about that. But I I don't hate the idea of of moving Harper up. Like we talk about the cleanup spot traditionally is the cleanup spot, right? You you have the opportunity to drive in runs. Here's the thing. For the Phillies to score, they're not stringing together hits, man. Like it, it's going to have to come from the big fly and the way to get the big fly is one swing. So you might as well get your best guy up there with the most opportunities to get that one swing. That's why you got Schwarber in the leadoff spot. Hoskins is struggling. He could still drive in runs. He's still a good, you know, run producer. I don't hate that at all, Finks. Flip-flopping Harper and Hoskins. Yes, you have back-to-back lefties at the top. And and that's the one thing is you're going to face Framber now probably, right, and have back-to-back yeah. lefties. That's That's the challenge. But if you are facing a righty, I think it's a no-brainer there. Uh, but w- with the back-to-back lefties, I-, I could see them probably going with with the lineup as is. Which, you know, y- you've been riding this to where you're at. You know, I think you've got to kind of again, kind of die on that ship. Like no one thought they'd be here. They've ridden this exact formula to the World Series. They're two games away from a title, which is way further than anybody thought they'd be. You know, as as much as it seems like the odds are stacked against them, they're two games away from a World Series title. It's possible. I think you got to ride with what works. Only maybe minor change would be fucking get Castellanos in the sixth spot. Just just do that, or bench him. No, you don't. You can't bench <laughs> him because of how elite he is in right field, which yeah. is just the craziest. Yeah. Those thing sliding ever. catches <laughs> are mesmerizing. And he's even giving you good routes, but it's funny every single time the balls hit to him, I'm like, oh no. But he catches. You hold it. your fucking breath. <laughs> yeah, he catches it. Um, I want to shower some praise on the Astros before we move on to Game Six because. You know, Jose Altuve had a really, really good game um, in game five. He went two for four, two runs scored. He had that big time double where um, with the bobble in center field, he moved all the way to third base and had the triple, which kind of like it was like, all right, this seems like the Astros are going to win the game as soon as he hit that ball. But they were putting up some graphs, right, or graphs, charts, whatever, where Jose Altuve ranks in postseason history. And he's, like, with the greats at this point. Um, I know Jose Altuve hasn't had the best postseason. He's actually had a terrible postseason by the numbers, but just when you need him, he just seems to come through. 
Um, and maybe that was more prevalent in game five than it has been, but just over his career, like Ryan, is Jose Altuve probably a first ballot Hall of Famer? Probably. And I think it's just, it's funny how you know, getting all these cracks at it when you're on a good team just uh, can make you one of the greatest postseason players ever. Part of it's just opportunity. Like I think they were saying Bregman has the most RBIs ever from a third baseman in the World Series. Most home runs too. <laughs> It's like, really? Like Bregman's the greatest third baseman of all time in the playoffs, I guess. All right. Uh, that's what happens when you're in it every single year. But yeah, when I mean, we look at Altuve's career, I don't know where he is on hits, but what is he getting close to 2000? Probably I would guess. Right. So, I mean, he's going to have the the numbers and he's going to have the, the world series and all the stats, the all-stars, the gold gloves, the silver sluggers. Like I, if not a first bout hall of famer, he's going to be a hall of famer with the resume he has. And all I got to say is, I'm not patting myself on the back for this one, but Jordan Alvarez is struggling with high heat arm. He is. I know. It's this funny. has been something that is like, it is obvious at this point. And they are attacking him, attacking him, attacking him. And he is just not making the adjustment right now. Well, what was what made me really concerned, you know, and they're definitely targeting him with the high heat. And, and you're right on that. But what made me really concerned was, I forget what game it was. It was maybe game three. Uh, we had a report from either Ken Rosenthal or Tom Verducci, whoever it was checking in, just saying, yeah, uh, they were talking about it. Like Jordan was sort of like tinkering with stuff, you know, in the cage before the games and then had a really bad cage session, which like, dude, how do you have a bad? How cage? does that even like, happen? Like, so then they hit again, like before the game. And I'm like, okay, if you're at the point in the world series where you're like playing around with stuff, Long term, of course, Jordan's going to be just fine, but he's like trying to micromanage right now and in, in, in fight or flight mode to try to find something that works. He's just really thrown off timing wise. He's caught in between. And I think that the high fastballs are are kind of getting to him a little bit. Yeah. If that high fastball keeps beating you and keeps beating you and keeps beating you, you're going to cheat a little bit more for it. You cheat a little bit more for it. You get you got to make a decision earlier when you got to make a decision earlier. You don't pick up the breaking balls as well. And now he's just caught in between. And it, it's it's surprising to see because we, we talk about Jordan as the, you know, one of the most complete hitters in the game. And he is, no matter how he could strike out the rest of the, the at-bats of this World Series. And he's still one of the most complete hitters in baseball. That shows you how miserably difficult this sport is. Like yeah. how impossible <laughs> baseball is and why it sucks as a sport if you're playing it. Like it is just so grueling. But it also shows you how good the Astros are. I mean, Jordan has not done anything and they continue to produce. But yeah, I mean, they've kind of executed the scouting report perfectly on Jordan. And now I think it's really piling up on him mentally. And and now I don't even know if he'd hit the hangers well. He's just really in between. Ryan, you know who the sport seems easy for right now? Well, the Astros bullpen. But Yuli Gurriel, 38-year-old Yuli Gurriel, who struck out for the first time in his postseason career. <laughs> in his postseason career. We talk about, you know, how Altuve, he racks up the records because they're always there. Bregman, always there. Yuli Gurriel has been always there, and this was his first strikeout. He went one for three again in yesterday's game, now hitting 347 with an 850 OPS. Like, when you have that level of production, when you have a guy like Jordan not hitting very well, Altuve not hitting very well, that's what makes this Astros team so good, is that they don't even need their stars to play well. They can call up a 26-year-old rookie who wasn't on top 30 prospect rankings at the beginning of the season, is 26 years old in David Hensley, and have even him contribute. Like, the Astros are just so deep and so good. The Phillies need to be perfect to beat them, while the Astros need to be fine in order to win the World Series. Like, that's... 
I, and what I saw at the beginning was that the Phillies, they were gaining this momentum where they almost were playing perfect, that they were averaging seven runs per game at Citizens Bank Park. On the road, it seemed like it didn't matter who pitched that they could hit. But if they run into some offensive lulls, it almost just seems like the series is over. So yeah. I guess my question is before we get into game six, or maybe this question leads into game six, like, do you think that the series is over? No, I, I don't think the series is over because look, if you know we start off and, and the impossible happens and they get to Framber, but you know, if in the first inning the Phillies have one of those rallies that we've seen them put together, you know, so many times in this postseason, and they put up three runs and really punch them in the mouth. I mean, there's no telling what could happen. Uh, I would certainly think that the series is going to be over. I believe that the Astros will hold on in game six, but this Phillies team has shown us enough that we have to say they still have a shot at it. Uh, it's just, it's going up against now the, you know, if not the best team in baseball throughout the regular season, certainly the best team in the American league. And you have to face them after a day off where that bullpen's rested and they still got Framber going and who's going game seven. Now, is it going to be Javier? Are they going to go him on short? West? Like, they have too much pitching to to not uh, pull this out, I think. And I also don't know what Wheeler's going to look like either. I think that's the big question mark going into this this game here. Arm, they could the throw Luis Garcia as a joke, just like for yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah. That nah, that'd be disrespectful. But the thing is, Garcia is good. Like it's good. That's uh, the craziest part. I, I will say, the one thing is we say like you know we don't know how Zach Wheeler is going to look. We feel like you know it should be pretty good with the extra day of rest. I feel like we know what Framber Valdez is going to look like, and it's yeah. going to be pretty darn good. I, I I always look at these kinds of games, these series, and I'm like, anything can happen, right? Like even the best of pitchers, you know, can get touched up. But Framber Valdez is the one guy where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, are they going to get to this dude? Like, I, I don't know. Especially when you consider that their two best hitters for the Phillies are lefties right now, and and Schwarber and Harper, uh, who both you know are, are competitive enough against lefties. But you know, Framber's a, a different beast. It, it's really hard to imagine, you know, that that they're going to be able to get Framber here. And, and they're really the only way that I can imagine it is the back the back half of the order stepping up, and the like that's. That's where it gets really interesting. I just feel like you are almost guaranteed a quality start from Framber Valdez here, and that's tough. So that means Wheeler is going to really, really have to match that, or the Phillies are going to have to magically get to the the Astros bullpen. And I was talking about it yesterday. Like, I think Dusty Baker, not not to take away from anything that he's done, because I think the hardest part about his job and, and one of the most important things that a manager can do in today's game is – Manage the egos, manage the personalities, keep the clubhouse together. There's a lot of egos. There's a lot of, you know, big time personalities in that Astros clubhouse. But, you know, a manager kind of keeps those guys together Uh, in terms of like game decisions. Dusty Baker has the easiest job in the world because it's like you could make the case for going to any reliever in any fucking spot. Like it doesn't matter that you could go to any if they put Brian Abreu into close. Okay. Presley into close. Okay. Montero into close. I don't care. Like yes. it, you can you justify any of them in any spot, like go to any reliever. It's, it's really not that difficult. Whereas Rob Thompson, like you got to pick your spots, Alvarado in the sixth. When you go into Sir Anthony, how much are you stretching him out? Like it, it's a little bit different. So uh, trying to get to that bullpen is going to be really tough as we've talked about. So who, who do you think they have a better chance to get to Peter Framber or the or the Astros bullpen like I, that that's that's the question and that question in itself makes me feel like they're in trouble. You couldn't be more right. I'm thinking to myself, well, 
Framber has pitched so well. Isn't he due to have a bad start? But then I think to myself, <laughs> isn't this the same guy who set the quality start record? That even at his worst, he's six innings, three runs. Like that's the worst Framber you're going to see. And in game two, you know, that's why I think this game is so, so dependent on the starting pitchers. Because at this point, like, you know, we we shower praise on the Astros bullpen and deservedly so. But the Phillies bullpen has been right there. Arm like we we love the under for the reason that beyond Noah Syndergaard, if he just weathers the storm, the Astros aren't really going to hit the Phillies bullpen, and they didn't, and they haven't. So this is so dependent on are we getting a healthy Zach Wheeler? So I'm writing up my betting article for Saturday's game because, of course, we're recording on Friday. There's no game today as they travel to Houston. But Zach Wheeler is the story here, right? Because he was 97 to 99 miles an hour. In game two, where he threw seven shutout innings against the Padres, his average fastball was 97.2 miles an hour, and his average sinker was 96.5. In When he got blown up by the Astros, when he was leaving things middle, when his command was not there, his average fastball was 95.6. Average sinker was 94.8. And he was throwing the sinker much more than he was throwing his fastball like he normally does. But then Framber on the other side had absolutely zero issues. He recorded 19 outs, six and a third innings, nine ground balls, nine strikeouts, <laughs> one fly ball. Like it doesn't get better than that, especially for a Phillies offense that when they put up seven runs against a guy like Lance McCullers Jr., it's all bombs. They didn't put a runner in scoring position. John Smoltz said on the broadcast, and I think I said this in an earlier episode, but it just made me laugh. Was I was like, I don't have the stats here, but I think that's the record for run scored in a World Series game without putting a runner on second base. Like if you cannot put the ball in the air against Framber Valdez. How do they have a shot here? I might just bet the under again, but it is so dependent on, because now we have Zach Wheeler, six days worth of rest, right? He hasn't had that in the postseason so far. You never get that in the regular season. Like he is the one, he is the guy coming off a rough start, but now he gets that time to rest, but he's also coming off an IL stint that he had earlier in the season. So what version of Zach Wheeler are we going to get? I feel like we're all pretty confident of what version of Framber Valdez we're going to get. Right arm? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the best case is you grind out Framber, which is tough because he pitches to early contact, and that's how he goes deep into games. Uh, again, like I, I think it's going to take a miracle of, of the back half of the lineup stepping up because how many times are you going to see that maybe Bryce works the walk, you know, and, and then maybe like gets to second base somehow, and then you got Bohm, Stott, Seguro, like out, out, out. That's it. Like I, that, I feel like that's how it's going to end up going down. But w- w- when you have a team that does all its damage in the air, and then you got to face or face Framber Valdez, it's it's literally your kryptonite here. Uh, the other side of it too is the defense is so good for the Astros that it just makes Framber the perfect arm for them. Um, when you have Jeremy Pena, the human vacuum at shortstop, you have Bregman at third, who's been spectacular. Altuve has been still playing a good second base, and then you know everything else has been working really well for them defensively. Of course, we saw the outfield. Uh, th- that's what makes it really, really advantageous to have a pitcher like Framber as well, uh, which he, he can just pitch to contact, knows he's going to be just fine, and go from there. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to David Hensley, 26 years old. You mentioned it, Peter, like not a top prospect whatsoever. Uh, went into this year without really any expectations around him. 
raked in AAA, got an opportunity in the final month and a half of the season at the big league level, put up good numbers there, and somehow convinced them enough to to put him on the postseason World Series roster. And, and here he is playing in the World Series. This was a guy that probably started his year in AAA hoping at best to make a big league debut. And here he is, you know, one game away from getting a ring and, and playing a big part in it. That's freaking cool, uh, especially for a team that's as loaded as the Astros. Pretty cool story there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough, man. David Hensley has a better batting average than Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve. If we said this at the beginning of the playoffs that David Hensley would have a better batting average than Jordan and Altuve, you would have said I was on crack. Um, hmm. Ryan, so how do you think this game is going to go? Like you have Astros in six. I assume you're not going to go back on that prediction, but it just seems like there's so much up in the air for the Phillies. While I feel like, especially at home, we know what we're going to get from the Astros. Like um, the line currently is out, right? The Astros are minus 145. The Phillies are about minus 150. The Phillies are about plus 130. Like, do you think if you were a betting man and I'm writing up my article, do you think Phillies plus 130, which for people who aren't in the betting space, if you put $10, you win $13 on the Phillies, but you'd have to lay $15 only to win 10 on the Astros. Like, do you think that line makes sense here? Or do you think just lay the 15 bucks with the Astros and say goodnight? As a, as a betting man, I would go Astros here. Now, the, the case that I would make, what I think has to happen for the Phillies to win is that top of the order, if they can just scratch a run in the first inning, in the top of the first, and then if Wheeler looks like Wheeler from last series in the bottom half, then you might be like, all right, we got a shot here. Because I think we're going to know very quickly what version of Zach Wheeler we're going to get. If, if he looks fatigued, I mean, good night. There's just, to, to cover all of those innings, I just don't see it. But if Zach Wheeler looks like, you know, what we saw against the Padres, and that, that Velo is back up after the extra rest, and they have an early lead on top of it that he can hold on to and try to get you through six, even if it's one nothing Phillies going into the late innings, then you got a chance. But look, I just, like we're talking about, I can't see them tagging Framber for a bunch of runs. It just doesn't, and then that bullpen, like what, what are you going to get to? Like maybe you can get to Montero. I don't know. It's just the Astros are too good. So yeah, as far as if, if I'm telling you where to put your money, I can't advise anyone to put their money on the Phillies other than <laughs> to say like team of destiny or whatever you want to say. But based on logic and reason, the Astros should win this game. Arm, are you on the same page? Like, you know, we, yeah, I, you know, we didn't even touch really the money line of last game because we, we both thought, you know, the Astros should win this game. It is Justin Verlander versus Noah Syndergaard and the bats have kind of gotten cold for Philly, but do you in a playoff game? Do you want to lay minus one sixty? Like in this kind of spot, I want to ask you the impossible question: What are we going to get from Zach Wheeler? Because according to Rob Thompson, he's confident that Zach Wheeler will be fully rested and ready to go. I quoted it in the article. Like his actual quote is, "I'm really confident he'll be able to go." Like that's what Rob Thompson is saying about Zach Wheeler, but. What is he going to say? We're not confident. Yeah, so say, like, what is he, and exactly. also be ready to go. Oh, great. Okay, he's nah. going. What does going mean? Like, how does going look? Uh, I, I just think that the, there's so many. Like, you, kind of what Ryan said, it jogged a thought in my head. It was like going through the scenarios here, the case for how the Phillies win. It, it's possible, but it just seems very difficult. It's you get to 
you know, an extremely difficult Framber Valdez, at least for a couple of runs. And then the big question mark, Zach Wheeler, is going to shove. Like, that's how you win this game. And and, and that's, a, that's a tough parlay right there, you know, to, to have those two things happen. It's possible. It's, it's the postseason. It's the World Series. Anything can happen. Uh, but I think the odds pretty accurately reflect uh, the likelihood of that happening. Uh, and, and it's tough. But here's the thing, man, is it takes one swing, right? If you can get one guy, and I think this is why they like Harper in the four hole. You get one guy on base ahead of Harper, and you get him up. One swing, two-run lead, you hold on to that. I mean, we wouldn't be surprised if Wheeler into the bullpen can hold on to that, and you just hold on for dear life and empty the tank. Uh, I mean, it's possible, right? And I keep saying, like, the Phillies have a a, a swinger's chance, but – it's just going to be really tough for a guy that doesn't give up home runs. Uh, they And maybe it's catching one out of the bullpen. We saw a little bit of vulnerability from, from Abreu. You know, the command kind of waned on him a little bit. There was a couple pitches that, that could have been hit that weren't, including a Schwarber, you know, roll over to second base. I thought that was a big spot, spot there where they could have done something. You know, JT Real Muto in that last inning, if McCormick doesn't make that catch, what are we looking at? You know, maybe maybe there's an opportunity to, to tie it up there. So, you know, there's little things here and there that that could have swung it, so you never know. But um, this is the one thing. They've seen all of the Astros' bullpen arms plenty now. So you hope that maybe at this point they have a little bit of an idea of, of what they can expect. Maybe they can cheat for one pitch and hope to catch it. That's really what it looks like here. And again, it's not impossible when you have a lineup like the Phillies do, but it's going to be very tough. If you're looking at this game, that's why I said it is so dependent on the starting pitchers. Before last night's game, going into it, the first five innings over was 4-0. and But the full game under was 3-1. and There has been no scoring off of this bullpen either. And then when you look at last night's game, first five under hit, which is the first time in the series, and then the full game just went under very easily by a margin. So it was five runs total. The over-under was seven and a half. That was an easy one. Like, I'm just kind of leaning towards the under again for this game, just Mm -hmm. expecting that Framber is going to do Framber things. Like, at the worst, Framber allows three-yard runs because that's what he proved during the regular season. Every single time he faced the Phillies, even in the postseason, but even back to the regular season where he threw five shutout innings of 10 strikeouts, two hits or no hits or something crazy like that. Like, that's where I'm leaning again. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game that's decided in the later innings. And, Ryan, even if Wheeler pitches really well, you assume Framber is going to pitch really well because why wouldn't you? So if this is 2-2 going into the seventh inning, you again give the lean to the home team and the better bullpen by the track record. Like, there is just seems like there's very few ways the Phillies can win this. But at the same time, Ryan, there was very few ways that the Phillies could even get here. That's why this World Series is so fascinating. And I just don't know what's going to happen. So let's talk about our predictions as we round out the pod. Ryan, give us your game six prediction. And then once we do game six, we'll kind of preview what could happen in game seven if the Phillies win. But I think we're kind of all on the same page of who's going to win game six. Yeah, we don't really think there's going to be a game seven. If you get there, you got Ranger, right? So you never know. Uh, you feel a lot better about their chances in the game seven than a game. Yeah, you six, do. Too, I feel like. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say Astros win four two. Yeah. So let's say let's say the line is at seven. You going under? 
Yeah, I, I just think that. But then again, <laughs> I just have no idea. It would not surprise me if Wheeler gives up like five runs in the first two innings, and then that <laughs> that looks like a bad bet. But that would uh, I would take me. the under. That uh, would surprise I'll, I'll, me. Because even when he looked bad, he still gave you five innings, and it was five earned runs. It's just if his arm shot. I, I just yeah. don't know where he's at. Because it's just, it's a matter of you know what did he lead the league in innings pitch last year, and then he goes like another long season. I mean, he he doesn't have a history. This is the first time he's pitched in the playoffs of pitching into November. So it's just a matter of like, does Wheeler still have it in the tank? It's not a matter of if he's good enough. It's just I don't know what he looks like on November fifth. No, we got to empty it. Empty and the freaking tank, baby. Like, this is it. Arm, we got a good yeah. comment here. Any long-term Astros fan, this is from Andrea LG 89 Any long-term Astros fans knows it's never safe to unclench. <laughs> because, I mean, this is a team that has one World Series ring, and they seem to be there every single year. And the Phillies, they're playing with nothing to lose, right? They weren't supposed yeah. to be here. So the pressure will be on the Astros, which is a lot, right? You're at home. You, It's not a must win, but you know that looking forward to game seven, you know that anything could happen. And the pitcher you're going to face in game seven already shut the door against you. So this is a obviously a must win for the Phillies because if they lose, they go home. But it, it it does feel like a must win for the Astros too, and maybe that pressure mounts. But do you think the pressure mounts enough for them to lose this game? I think I, I just think the Astros like yes, they've had some disappointments, but they've been there. Uh, and you know you, you have the opportunity here where even if you lose, you do still get another game where uh, they're at home. Uh, you, you figure that there's going to be pressure in that one, but you at least have that that lifeline. Uh, there that that the Phillies don't have. I I think it's going to be four one. Um, and and I I just don't know if the Phillies bats are really going to quite get going. You could see a little bit of of just how how frustrated they were in that last game. I started to see it mount a little bit on these guys. Like you could see the body language after these at bats of like, man, we're just getting overpowered a little bit. Um, I think they're up against it a little bit at this point. You know, they've been so hot, they've been riding it all the way here, and then all of a sudden you run into a juggernaut. Uh, and I think they're finally feeling a bit vulnerable offensively. And uh, I think this is going to kind of mount on them here, especially now leaving Citizens Bank, going to Houston. That that said, you know, again, anything can happen. Houston's a hitter-friendly place as well, uh, especially in left field. It only takes one cheap homer that can get them where they need to go. I mean, remember Bregman's home run. Uh, so it, it, I still don't think so, though. I, I'm going to go 4-1. Astros win the World Series, and and that's that. And we we go full off season mode by uh by Sunday. <laughs> so my heart says that the Phillies have a shot here. My brain says that it's going to be two to one in favor of the Astros, them them winning. But we also have another good comment, um, which I want to mention. The Nationals won Game Six and Seven in Houston. They were in the same spot, and we compare this team a ton to that 2019 Nationals team. So it's been done before, but at the same time, if we remember, the Astros faced the Red Sox. Red Sox went up 2-1. Astros won three straight. Now, that was not the World Series. That was in the ALCS, but they've both been in these type of scenarios. The Astros have blown it in Game 6 and 7 in the World Series, but at the same time, they were also down 2-1 and then won out in order to win that series. So I also think this is the best Astros team we've ever seen we've ever seen like can you talk to that a little bit arm because i agree yeah. with you. i think this is the best astros team that's ever been 
I, I really do. I, and, and Ethan Badowski, our, our guy asked that in the chat yesterday and like unequivocally, I was like, yes, this is absolutely the best Astros team we've seen. You, you could, you could harp on like, Oh, the, the drop off at shortstop, you lost Carlos Correa. Well, Jeremy Payne just plugged right in and, and giving you basically everything that Carlos Correa was giving you, especially in the postseason. Bregman's right back to, to, prime Bregman form, which, you know, kind of offsets that Uh, you have Altuve playing at his highest level. You have Kyle Tucker playing, you know, continuing to get better than, than he was on those other Astros teams. Jordan Alvarez, I know not great in the world series has turned into one of the best hitters in the game. He wasn't that, you know, before he was really good, but wasn't that. Um, And then the the pitching staff, right? Sure. You lose Garrett Cole. Okay. Replace him with Justin Verlander, a hall of famer. The rest of the staff is just way better. I mean, we were seeing innings from guys that don't sniff the ability of Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, and all the other guys that they're able to roll out there. And then the bullpen is not even close. Again, the stat that we keep throwing out there of, of every guy basically having a sub four ERA that's thrown for them this year, like that, they've never had that kind of depth. They've never had that kind of ridiculous depth that they have top to bottom. And then all of their core stars have kind of taken that leap in the meantime. This is the best team they've had without a doubt. Kurt Money reminded me on TikTok, no Michael Brantley either. Remember him? Yeah. Remember how good he was? He could hit second in the lineup, just move Kyle Tucker down, move Yuli Gurriel to seven. I mean, they might have sweeped if they had Michael Brantley. Like, that's how good this team is, even without him losing one of their best players. And the Phillies at this point are fully healthy, except maybe Zach Wheeler. And I think that is the key here. Do we see vintage Zach Wheeler, who was throwing 99 miles an hour and threw seven shutout innings with one hit against the Padres? Or do we see a forearm trouble arise with Zach Wheeler, who that was the injury that he dealt with. And we're seeing 94 to 95 without the command. I don't know what we're going to see, but let's play a hypothetical here. Zach Wheeler looks like the best pitcher alive again, because he was that way moving into this series. Let's say he dominates. Let's say Framber still is Framber gives up three runs this time, still gets his quality start, but let's say he gives up three runs. If he gives up three runs and the Phillies win three to two and we move forward into game seven, who are we going to see for the Astros? Do we see Christian Javier on three days rest? I mean, it seems like to him, he's not even trying that hard. He's throwing a 94 mile an hour fastball, 75 inches of vertical induced vertical break, and it's impossible to hit. And then he just throws in a slider when he wants and he'll throw in two knuckle curves just to say hello. Or do they go to Lance McCullers, who was, I guess, tipping pitches? Does he make that adjustment look better like he did in innings three and four? Or do they just go to Luis Garcia for fun? Like, Ryan, who? how do you see game seven lining up if the Phillies are able to upset the Astros in game six? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they do. I know I would go to Javier personally, uh, but I could see them also starting with McCullers with a short leash and pitching Javier out of the bullpen. Like, that's that's certainly kind of a realistic option if if he can figure out why he was tipping pitches and how to correct it. Uh, you know, McCullers could give you a better start, but again, it's just a matter of if we get there. And I just don't think we get there. If we do though, uh look like like I said, I, I like the Phillies chances in game seven a lot more than game six with, with Ranger going and with kind of that uncertainty about what the Astros would do. So for some reason our our TikTok comments are talking about Jose Arquiti being the guy. <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh, but at the same time He's been there. He's done that. And against the Phillies, he already performed very well. So I'm like making fun of you guys on TikTok. But at the end of the day, like if Jose Arquiti started against Rager Suarez, I'm just, I, the Astros might be favored. 
Like that's well, how yeah, good they, they are. would because I think Javier would piggyback and then you go oh. to the rest of the rest of the bullpen. So which they can do. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you, you're probably fine. You just need you just need Urquidy to give you two or three, kind of like Syndergaard, and then you go with uh, Javier piggybacking, and then you go to the elite bullpen. So I or think they'd be just fine. I mean, you could go two, yeah. two, two. Yeah, uh, yeah McCullers. I I would probably stay away from McCullers, like because I I <clears throat> genuinely don't think he was he was tipping his pitches that much. I well, I know. legitimately think the Phillies executed a game plan which was fairly obvious, right? Like you let him beat you with the fastball. He was throwing breaking balls. Look at where all of those breaking balls were. They were middle, middle hangers. And every guy was sitting on that pitch. Like, okay, if he was tipping pitches, you kind of know what he's going to throw. He threw 28 consecutive breaking balls. He has the record for most consecutive breaking balls. He might as well tell you it's coming. The difference is it's usually so good it doesn't matter. He was hanging those. He doesn't look right. I wouldn't put him in in that spot. I would feel more comfortable going a couple innings of of Urquidy and then or or Garcia and then piggyback, you know, somebody like like um Javier after that and then go to the bullpen. And McCullers has obviously been the one guy that the Phillies bats look just like they did before. And I, I don't think you want to give them that little glimmer of hope there. I don't even know why we're not talking about Luis Garcia. Like I would I would put Luis Garcia in instead of Jose Arquiti. I would go three innings of Javier, then I would go to Luis Garcia and then give me Ryan Stanek, Hector Neris, Rafael Montero, Ryan Presley and Brian Abreu. I mean, that is, how are you hitting that ever? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the 1927 Yankees. How are you hitting that? But then on the same side, Ranger Suarez. Astros couldn't touch him. Can he do it again? All the starters, they couldn't touch him. I mean, what's to say he couldn't do it again? Have you ever seen a more relaxed pitcher on the mound than Ranger Suarez? I don't think he realizes it's game seven. He's just out there chilling. The definition of chilling. We saw that one of the... The it came back to him on the on the ground ball. He's just he flips it into his hand. Seems him and Christian Javier seem like they don't care that it's the World Series that they're just playing in the backyard. It's incredible the poise both of these two guys have on the mound. And so if Rangers go in Game Seven, and then you still have a Phillies bullpen who I want to give them credit. The Astros bullpen is so good, but the Phillies bullpen has also not given up a run outside of a Jose Alvarado misstep. Like that is the key here. So. It's impossible to tell, but you have to give the Astros the clear edge in winning the series, and the books greatly reflect that. But this all comes down to game six of the Phillies can... It's not a miracle, but Ryan, does it kind of... Would it feel like a miracle if the Phillies win game six? Uh, miracle is kind of uh, selling them a little bit short, but you know, I, I feel like this entire run is kind of miraculous, so... Uh, I guess it's not that far off. I mean, the fact that they're in this position when none of us had them maybe even making it out of the wild card round or uh, very few had them getting past the Braves. Uh, they're in an incredible spot to win two games and win a World Series and shock the world. So I wouldn't count them out. I just also would not count on them. We'll be back on Monday. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Be sure to use code October15. TikTok, I'm talking to you too. Use code October15 in order to get 15% off Just Baseball merch. That code is still live through the end of the World Series. Get yourself a hat. Get yourself a sweatshirt. Why not? How about the new athletic long sleeve? That's also available on our store. I'm out here rocking the Not Gambling Advice tee. And all I can say is the biggest compliment that we get back about the clothing is the material. Got to shout out our guy, Kendall McKee. Incredible material. And you get to rep a little bit of it, just baseball. And it helps out the podcast, helps out us, as well as our code. 
for Manscaped is still live in the episode description. Use code JBSHOW for 20% off Manscaped. Get yourself right. Treat yourself. And um, is there anything else before we say goodbye, Arm? Anything else? Just praying for Game 7. Praying for Game 7. We will be back again on Monday to review the World Series. Hopefully we get a Game 7 because that's just better for baseball. And with that, thank you, everybody.